Plot twists. We are obsessed with them. In film, life, and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story that takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, super fan of cinema, sport, comedy, and I'm part of the odd impression. And throughout this series, brought to you by Now and Sky, I'll be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about the plot twist moments that define their lives and careers. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems you've never heard before. Expect spoilers. Well, would you Adam and Eve it? We've added another leg to the Plot Twist comedy tour. This week, Kerry Godleyman, who has such range as a comedian, so talented. You will know her best, of course, for Hannah and Derek, Lisa and Afterlife, two massive shows, obviously, with Ricky Gervais. I was saying to Joe Wilkerson last week, certain characters, you just known them as that character. That's how I first saw Kerry was as Hannah in Derek. She was that role. She was that local hero, and she, she smashed out the park. You'll also know her from Taskmaster. She won Series 7. She had a good lineup that year. James Acaster, Rob Gilbert, Jessica Knappert. But I mentioned that range that she has. More serious roles, playing a disgraced MP in adult material. Whitstable Pearl, again, a more serious role. You've got all the panel shows that she's done. Think of, like, Nevermind the Buzzcocks, A League of Their Own, both on Sky and Now. And on top of all of that, she's a gigging stand-up comic. That is her true passion. And actually, her route into comedy is pretty unique in that most comics through stand-up get sketch shows, get sitcoms, and it kind of builds on from there. Whereas for her, she actually went to drama school. That was her background. And then from there, migrated into stand-up comedy. So it's a different approach that I was quite keen to ask her on. But as you can imagine, working with Ricky Gervais on two massive hits of his, she does get asked a lot about that. So I was pretty keen to look somewhere else. And, you know, I was just looking on her Instagram and found a couple of things that I thought were, were quite interesting. So that's kind of where we started. Here it is, Kerry Godleyman on Plot Twist. I'll be curious to know if any secrets do come out. How will we know if it's a secret, though? I don't know, probably because my face will... Rev- I'll be like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I appreciate you coming into the studio. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. I have actually seen you live before, Taskmaster. Oh, was you at one of the studios? Yeah, Series 7. Was it Series 7? 7, yes, you're right. Um, I loved those studio records. They were sort of part of the real joy of the whole thing. And you won. I did win. I need to kind of... Be a bit competitive. I am, and I try and not be, and then it just comes out. I mean, I did Richard Osman's House of Games the other day, and I was like, I'm not going to be competitive. And then just something takes over, and I just become a monster. Has that come out yet? Uh, no, we only recorded it the other day. Did you win? I can't say. Oh. Also, it was... That would have been the secret. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Straight out the gate, told a secret. <laughs> I'll ask you afterwards. Um How's your weekend been? Have you been gardening? Because you, you at Glastonbury the week. I was a week. I, the weekend before I was at Glastonbury, so yeah. this weekend I was Needed really chill. chilled yeah. and did as little as possible. I was exhausted from Glastonbury. I found it's it full on. It's so full on. I Have you been? done it? No, and I really want to do it. I think it's something you should try and do if possible at least once. But what I found this year was that. I got slightly irritated by the relentless... Because the coverage is so massive, the BBC coverage is so huge, Mm. and there's just so much, like, 
excitement about how amazing it all is. And it is, but it also is a challenge. <laughs> and there yeah, are sure. aspects of it that are like, you know, really full on. And the way that it's televised, it makes it seem like so... Seamless. Seamless and easy mm. and like, oh, yeah, we'll pop over and watch, you know, that set and then we'll casually do a camera sweep over to Cape Blanchett sort of dancing with the spot. You know, in reality, that was a 40-minute walk and, <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, the whole toilet thing. And it's I just... That was I quite felt, warm as well, wasn't oh it? God, this year, I just found it really hard this year. Yeah. I was... It was tiring. Yeah. I liked your... Uh, you put out a post and you're saying, actually... You see the FOMO effect with social media, yeah. but actually the reality, you know, it's a bit of an up and down totally. experience. Totally. And, and... You, it's hard to post authentically, like we were just talking about social mm. media. I don't know what the answer is, but FOMO is something that I I can't stand it. Mm. I don't want to be someone that makes people feel like shit. <laughs> if you're posting a thing where you are, there's such narcissism on social media and there's, you know, a sort of very ill-disguised showing off mm. that how do you... Do something, celebrate, like, you know, we're all stuck with it. And you go, I want to sort of post and I want to share and I want to do all those things. But underneath it, there is a sort of mm. showing off. Yeah. And it's likely that some people are going to feel like shit when they see you having a great time. So I kind of wanted to slightly undercut it and go, I it like wasn't all great. I yeah. went, someone posted back and went, yeah, I thought that when I was pissing in a bottle in my tent in the middle of the night. And I thought, like, yes, that's that's not... Joe Wiley doesn't have to piss in a bottle for the BBC coverage. <laughs> I just wanted a little bit of truth. Yeah. yeah a I little bit of how it really that. is up there. You like a bit of gardening, right? That's I a really big passion. Gardening. It is yeah. now. It's quite just, therapeutic. Yeah, I've just become a middle-aged lady that likes gardening. I remember when my mum was into it when I was a teenager and I was like, oh my God, you're dead. And now I am... <laughs> That person. And my daughter looks at me and goes, you're dead. I think there's a space for comedy with gardening. I think there's something entertainment-wise. Yeah, there's something in that. I'm not like... You say it's quite a sort of um, chilled thing, but I'm quite an aggressive gardener. <laughs> I shout at slugs. I'm very, you know... Yeah, slugs are annoying. Slugs are annoying. Weeds are just... Uh... Yeah, I get a lot out. Where does that of... come from? I mean, I went away for a weekend to Glastonbury, come back. Chaos. There's a lot to do. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to manage. Yeah, my dad's bought me a really nice plant. He got it um, through a friend, and I haven't looked after it brilliantly. Have you killed it? I feel like I need to give it something strong to boost it up. Water? Have you thought well, about yeah, it? I mean, there's water. But you it's, it's you some haven't sort fed of it? Bit. I haven't fed it. Yeah, feed yeah. it. That's my advice. It's okay. not. That's the great thing about gardening is it's not like... I mean, there is a bit of mystery and magic involved, but... I quite enjoy the fact that I'm just an enthusiastic amateur and some things die Yeah, <laughs> and it's a metaphor for life <laughs> and it's like yeah. you just do your best and some of it will work out and some of it will definitely not mm. work out and don't overthink it. Yeah, I'm sort of brute force and ignorance. That's my kind of approach no, I think that's to fine. it. That's I think fine. there's a place for that. Yeah. So you're talking about, uh, I don't know if it's talking about gardening, we're talking about nature and social media. I just had a little look on your Instagram. Oh, yeah. Um, you're in the forest and there's people have been vandalising trees. <laughs> yeah. um, All the penis trees. Yeah. Now, if you want to be with Bill Oddie on a new comedy <laughs> gardening show. It's a new kind of twitching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe the amount of penises in the um, Dulwich Woods trees. <laughs> just the penis gang. Yeah, because somebody's actually written that yeah. down on a tree. Yeah. And I was going to ask, was that actually you? And you thought no! this was a great... No! <laughs> that wouldn't even occur to me. <laughs> if I was going to, like, graffiti a tree, 
the penis gang is not what would come into mind. <laughs> How many were there? Was it just the... I found about three or four. I keep meaning to take more pictures of them and post them because people seem to be quite amused by that them. That is a weird hobby. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, it's only a tiny bit of woodland in Dulwich. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I'm in the Forest of Dean or anything. Yeah. So what inspired somebody to do that? Oh. Well, actually, that's another conversation. Yeah. Let's, let's do a little segue from there to a plot twist question. Okay. If I can. Yeah. So the podcast is about plot twist moments, unexpected moments. Yeah. What for you in your life and career would be a standout plot twist where your own story sort of changed? I think getting into drama school would have been one of them. I remember that quite vividly, opening the letter and saying, we'd like to offer you How a old place. Were you? I So I didn't do very well in my GCSEs, and so I had to go back to school to retake them, so I did an extra year there, and then I went and did A-levels, and then I did a year out after that, so I sort of so I took a couple of kind of gap years. So I reckon I was about 20 when I went to drama school, thereabouts. So I didn't go like mm uni age straight from school 18 sort of thing and by then because I'd had this I'd had the disappointment of failing GCSEs and having to redo them and then I'd had a year out working in a cafe so I'd sort of had a dose of that kind of work life reality so by the time I did get offered a place at drama school it had a lot more value Mm. than if I'd just been handed it at 18 and I do remember being extremely excited and happy about it and I suppose it does, I suppose there's a kind of naivety that you kind of think, that's it now, I'm going to be an actor. That's how it goes. You go to drama school and you get to be an actor. And it isn't like that. Mm. But in that moment of excitement, it did feel like that was definitely going to be... Well, it was possible, It's right? the legitimisation of a career mm. decision that mm. is... Everybody knows how hard it is to be an actor. Everybody knows. And... That being accepted into drama college is a moment where someone says it's possible. It might it might be okay. You might get to be one of those people. And that was really exciting. What was the dream leading up to that? You know, GCSE sort of time frame and A-levels. What were you thinking? I did want to, do? yeah. I did yeah. want to go to drama school and be an yeah. actor. But I didn't, I wasn't in any, in any crazy hurry. I'd always done youth theatre. I'd always done acting. I had, I think I'd decided from young that that's what I wanted. But I wasn't like... You know, I wasn't a child actor outside of amateur stuff and I wasn't in a desperate rush. I think I vaguely remember that my mum had a friend or a colleague who was a jobbing actor. And when I was a kid, she'd said to him, should I put Kerry in stage school maybe? Like, should should we look at that? Because, you know, I grew up in London. There are stage schools in London. Mm. So it was a possibility. And I watched Grange Hill and I did sometimes think, how do those kids get to do that? But it was never pursued. There was never... And I think this actor friend of my mum said, no, don't do that. Leave it because she should choose that for herself when maybe she's old Mm. enough to make that decision. And I think that was the right advice. And it's interesting now as a parent, because I think my kids have sometimes expressed an interest in that. And I've been reluctant to push it. I've thought, they can do it later when they want to do it. Are they it. the age where they're starting to think about that kind of thing? Well, now one of them's just done her GCSEs. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and she does go to Brit school, so she is in that world of acting. Oh, wow. Um, and it's interesting having mixed feelings about whether I encourage or discourage yeah, of course. that. Like, I don't, I don't want to force anything. I don't want to push anything negative or positive. Mm. Like, sometimes when I go, oh, it's such a hard life, I want to protect them from that <laughs> disappointment and blah, blah, blah. And then my husband's like, yeah, but... 
Who's also an actor. Is also, who's also an actor. And, all, like, don't stop. If that's what she wants, don't spoil it. You know, just encourage it. Mm. Sorry, I said that like I was reading it to you. He's also an actor. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. he is also an yeah. actor. We met doing a play. Oh, really? Mm. That's cute. Yeah, we met doing a fringe play at the White Bear in Kennington. I played his psychiatric nurse. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's forever been a curious starting point. Yeah. How, how old were you guys when you met? I was 28 and he was 30. Okay. That's a good time to me. That's yeah, because I always used to tease him and go, what's it like having a girlfriend in her 20s? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, and he's yeah. only just two years older than me. Because I feel like you're at stage there, there's a bit of maturity, you've had a bit of life. Oh, yeah. And then had, had still... a fair bit of life by the time we met. Yeah, yeah it's a good balance. Mm. What, where does comedy come in for you? If you, if you, the goal was to be an actor, because mm. I've heard you say in other conversations that a lot of the passion is comedy and then you get these other projects as an actor. Mm. Where, where does the comedy then start to come into play? Because I was thinking about that and that seems like more of an unusual route, potentially. Yeah. Most people are like, I had Joe Wilkinson on last week, uh-huh. does Fringe, does stand-up gigs, and then that kind of leads him to do a series like yeah. him and her, for example. Yeah. Whereas your, your way around is slightly different, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I always loved stand-up. I was a huge fan of stand-up when I was a kid and growing up, and I used to go and see it quite a lot. It's, I've been interested to hear on other comedians talk on podcasts that they didn't come to it, they didn't even go and watch it or know of mm. it until they were older. Whereas I did, I used to go and, I remember my mum took, my mum and dad took me to see Billy Connolly at Hammersmith Odeon when I was like a teenager. Oh, I know. So I sort of, I did watch it and, and knew what it was and I used to watch like, um, when I was a kid everybody watched those Eddie Murphy DVDs, Delirious, Delirious and yeah. Raw and stuff like that. So I, was, I, I did love stand-up as a art form or medium mm. or whatever but it never would have occurred to me to become a stand-up I loved comedy and a legitimate sort of route was acting and going towards comedy in acting mm. and so I went the path of drama school and and all that but I suppose if I was I don't know if you're sort of retrospectively attaching a narrative to something but I do feel like there was always this little part of me that loved stand-up and maybe really privately aspired to be one but I would never have admitted it and why not because I just it just it's just such an absurd jump to go from <laughs> I like it as a punter I'm going to do it mm. I don't know I don't know and I could sort of attach that's what I mean I could kind of attach stories to that but they might not be accurate like maybe because there weren't very many women doing it I don't know maybe although I also saw Victoria Wood when I was a kid my mum and dad took me to see Victoria oh Wood gosh. as well yeah I did see two a titans mate. of that I know, era exactly and that's got to be significant I'm sure talk about in this yeah. context as well like moments that stay with you those oh, yeah, two things definitely. very much stayed yeah. with me so yeah so acting just see and I loved film and TV and all that stuff so it Acting just looked like a job with a training and there was a path. But stand-up, I didn't know how you did it. I just literally wouldn't have known how to do it, like how to get gigs. Mm. I have so much admiration for a, that first gig. Yeah. To get yourself to that position think, sod it, I'm going to give it a go. Well, I did it through a course. I did a course at oh, City Lit. Yeah. Because I would, I, similarly, I didn't know how you went about it. I literally mm. wouldn't. I'd see in time out all these gigs and I just didn't. You know, now I think, well, Kerry, you just ring the clubs and ask. But I didn't know how to do that. Whereas I saw a course at the City Lit, a friend of mine at the time was curious as well. We did it together and then there was a showcase at the end of it and I gigged at that showcase. And then once you started, you've started. Do you remember your first gig? Yeah. 
Yeah, very much. Talk me through that. Well, it was it was, it went well. I had a good gig, but a lot of the audience were people on the course or friends and family mm. of people on the course. I can remember doing a sort of mini set, if you like, probably just a sort of three minutes in front of the class at the City Lit, and and it went quite well. And the teacher afterwards went, "There you go, Kerry. That's the beginning of your first Edinburgh show." And just the feeling of. Oh my God, that's how it works. That's the first brick of a building. What a compliment. Yeah, it was a compliment. And everybody sort of, if you've got a good teacher, you would sort of want to seek their approval. There's nothing better Definitely. than a good yeah, teacher's yeah, yeah. approval. And I'm going, that's great. Well mm. done. I'm really impressed by that. So you are seeking, yes, you're seeking laughter, but you're also seeking sort of affirmation from someone who knows comedy and the world of comedy. And he went, that is how it works. There isn't anything else to it. What you just did is the beginning of an Edinburgh show. And I was like, oh, my God. That is how it works. That's so cool. Yeah. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It was a real, like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, light bulb sort of moment. Totally, yeah. 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 Um, let me ask you some... I want to come back to that because I, I find that really interesting and how that kind of played out in your career. But let me ask you some random questions. Okay. What's the worst job you've had? Oh, I've had... Oh, I've had loads of jobs. I just, I worked in hairdressers on Saturday, sweeping up hair, and then I've done waitressing. I wasn't a very good waitress. I was politely, I had one of those chats after a shift, a trial shift, where the manager said, how do you think today went? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I said, I don't think it went very well. And she went, I'm really glad you said that, Kerry, because I thought it didn't go well either. <laughs> so... My husband always teases me. He said, there's nothing more contradictory than you wearing a badge saying happy to serve. Yeah. I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not happy to serve and I'm not a good enough actress to pretend. So I'm not well suited to the service industry. I worked in call centres where I had to pretend. Yeah. Like I had to lie and dupe floor managers into thinking. Like there was a script and at the beginning oh, you had God. to sort of um, be like, oh, Tony, I was round your way a couple of Wednesdays ago, but it was just after five. I thought you we would already be home watching Neighbours. Anyway, and then just keep talking until in theory you just hoodwinked them into buying gallons of industrial floor cleaning material it was the weirdest job and you worked entirely on commission so you could do a whole week's work and make nothing oh bloody hell yeah. so that was a pretty low point um yeah just loads <laughs> bar work i remember once doing a trial shift when there was a world cup england game and at the end of the shift the landlady said oh didn't i make it clear i wasn't going to pay you full and i'd worked like a really hard shift That's yeah and talking about Glastonbury, we were talking about Glastonbury. I remember working in this working men's club in Ealing and I was going to go to Glastonbury the coming weekend and I said, I'm, I'm not around this weekend. And he was like, well, you're down to do shifts. And I said, well, I'm going to Glastonbury. And he went, well, if you go, don't bother coming back. And, and I went, went, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I won't come back then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, lots and lots of different jobs. What's your favourite smell? Oh, I've got lots of favourite smells. I like cut grass. Oh, yeah. I love the smell of cut grass. And I quite like summer rain on tarmac. Oh, I know that. That's a nice yeah, smell. Yeah. yeah. I think they, a lot of my favourite smells are summer, mm. seasonal, like a bonfire. I really love a bonfire smell. I quite like it when you smell yesterday's bonfire on a garment of clothing. I know what you mean. Yeah, I just like I those smells. Barbecues, um, distant barbecues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I want the sausage. Over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what what kind of TV are you enjoying? Oh, I just watched Bridget Christie's fantastic sitcom called The Change about a character going through the menopause, which I am, so it resonated quite a lot. 
I just watched Colin from Accounts. I really enjoyed that. You know, and I enjoy watching things that I can watch with my kids as well. So if I'm going to give it time, mm. like me and my son just watched Last of Us and we love Ted Lasso. We watched that together. So I enjoy finding things that we can both enjoy. Yeah. You probably couldn't watch Game of Thrones together. I never did Game of Thrones. It's not my cup of tea. Oh, okay. That sort of Fair. fantasy stuff. See, I put that off because others were watching it. It was like some sort uh, of... Yeah, like, well, you're all watching it, so I'm going to go watch Yeah, and else. I get that. And then yeah. I watched it and I loved it. Yeah. So, well, sometimes yeah. things take you by surprise. Like, I never really thought I'd like the Marvel films, and now I watch them with my son and I love mm. them. I did the same with Happy Valley. Put it off for ages. Yeah, and, then, and it is sort of brilliant, isn't it? Is. it? But good God, it's bleak. It's bleak. The Sarah so Lancashire, really, what oh, a bad She's ass. extraordinary. But you really have to be in the right headspace to watch mm. things that are that bleak. Yeah. You know, you've got to protect yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You've got to look after your well-being. Yeah. Yeah, watching that late at night sometimes is... Yeah. Well, if you're feeling a bit vulnerable and low, don't watch Happy Valley. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you don't ever watch it, you're missing out on great drama. True, true. So it's just yeah. timing. Finding the balance. Yeah. Balance is key in life. Always. I want to go back to the comedy landscape. And you mentioned about um, sort of women in comedy. Mm-hmm. sort of alluded to it with mm. Victoria Wood. Is that a space now where there is more access for women and, and more... I don't say acceptance, but it seems like the comedy space has been quite difficult sometimes for women. Totally, to yeah. And it has opened up. And it's an interesting... It always comes up if you're a woman that works in comedy, especially stand-up maybe, mm. not so much with the acting or character comedy stuff, but specifically with straight stand-up where I'm not in character, I'm just being me. Mm. There undeniably was not that many <laughs> when I started. And now there are a lot more, and that is brilliant. So I have seen that arc. And it's really nice to be a part of that. Um, well, why is it, though, that there wasn't when, when you started? Oh, would you want to un- unpack the patriarchy? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but, I mean, there's like, with but, that. But, but Victoria Wood in the 80s was Yeah, was if you brilliant. get through. I mean, there's always, in any arena, whether it be writing or politics or whatever, there will possibly be a few that get through, maybe one mm. or two. But to have it so that now we have a situation where... You know, a comedy lineup could all be women or more than one woman or whatever, and it's not a big deal. And it isn't even International Women's Day. It's just a kind of, that's the bill and that's what you're getting tonight. And it isn't necessarily even a talking point. Mm. That didn't happen when I started. It just wasn't a thing. I mean, there were women working the circuit, but the people you're talking about, the start, the names. I mean, they're obviously there. So when I started, it was Joe Brand, Jenny Eclair, and obviously Victoria Wood, but she was on the telly. I'm talking about people that I could see in a club, you know, and I could go and watch them at mm. every festival. And there were, you know, they were, like Joe Enright and Joe Caulfield and... Uh, Mel and Sue. Yeah, Mel and Sue. There were loads of women working the comedy scene, but it just, it it was, there were just a lot less of them. <laughs> there were a lot less of them. Is that, so today it's because I think we're more mindful of that, essentially. Well, you'd hope there's some form of progress, but good God, it's slow. Yeah. It's taken a really long time to get there. And that, as I say, that isn't just true of comedy. That is true. Oh, it's across the board. It's across the board. Yeah. And it, you know, and there are, it, it does seem to be taking a long time. Politics is another one that sort of fascinates me, that we still have a predominantly male cabinet and mm-hmm. we haven't had a woman prime minister yet. And it's just all these things that just seem to be taking such a long time. I was saying this stuff to a friend the other day, we were talking about politics. I've gone on a bit of side venture over here. But... Um, for a cabinet, 
we're talking about Eton. Mm. We're talking about sort of private schools. Well, there schools we are. And... If that's a feeder school, then it's a but normal environment. I was saying, as part of representation of the country mm. as a whole, there should be a, a, a variation of different personalities, different backgrounds, You different need human tapas. That's why I said Taskmaster works, because you get human tapas. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't I have it that. in our leaders. <laughs> we yeah. just don't. It just is. There is not enough diversity of background from class. You know, class is a big thing, not just gender. It's like mm. there's just one ilk of human that seems to run the show and you know the trickle down of that is that you're not represented we could go on a whole yeah that's a separate conversation but 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 the world of comedy is only within the context of just society at large isn't it how how did you feel when you when you started out were you mindful of that I, i tried to not i mean i'd been sort of raised quite uh, you know, my mum was quite overtly feminist, so I did do it mindfully, and I wasn't going to let it stop me. You know, it was part. Of, uh, it wasn't like, oh, am I a woman? I didn't notice. I just wasn't going to let it get in the way. Yeah, and I didn't. And I did maybe consciously. I didn't talk about women's issues because there's this awful reputation which I can't stand which is that women comics just talk about lady stuff you know they just talk about menstruation or blah 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 which is just not true and also annoyingly blokes talk about blokey stuff but they never get any shit for it so there's all these kind of things that are so clearly bollocks I just wasn't going to engage in it Mm. I just thought I'm not playing that game I'm just going to do what I do if you get enough affirmation from enough people to say well for a start people laugh there's nothing as clear-cut as a room <laughs> laughing or not laughing yeah. to give you an indication of whether it's working or not. And if enough people say, yeah, no, this is good, keep going, you keep going. Mm. And no one ever said you shouldn't be doing this. I just wasn't from that kind of background. I was always like, no, do it, keep doing it. That's amazing. That yeah, it is. It is amazing. Not everyone gets that kind of... Absolutely. Yeah. And I knew it was a special thing and I, that's what kept me going. What point did you start to think when you did that first gig that... This is actually something I could do full time and actually make a career out of this. I think because I was already a jobbing, mostly not jobbing, but the phrase is jobbing actor. <laughs> so I already had quite a self-employed life and my both my parents are self-employed. So I was never scared of self-employment. Mm. I think nowadays with gig economy and everything, a lot of people are self-employed, aren't they? Mm. But But maybe then there was a slight kind of fear around being not employed and not salaried and it didn't scare me and I was already in that sort of world because I did a bit of this and I did a bit of that I did um, role play work which a lot of actors do I was still doing probably bits of office work and clerical work temping and stuff so I was piecing together a career piecing an income together and slotting stand-up into that what we now call portfolio <laughs> yeah. was doable it was very achievable whereas when I've spoken to people that had full-time salaried jobs and they were gigging in the evening and going to work in the day I really admire them because they did have to work really hard gig four nights a week or whatever keep up a day job and then make a decision to stop the day job in order to go over full-time to the comedy I never had to do that I could assimilate comedy into my already quite eclectic (laughs) (laughs) lifestyle do you think the the acting part helped the stand up totally. in terms of because Joe Wilkinson was saying he hadn't done anything on stage he didn't have he didn't do presentations no, exactly. even where you could just be used to an audience totally. in front of you. And I was already I'd already done a few bits of acting professional even if it was just a few lines here and there so I'd already worked as an actor. I did a lot of what's called forum theatre which is like a kind of training technique where you go into either schools or 
businesses or I used to do it sometimes for the police where I had to role play vulnerable people, all kinds of role play work, training work where actors are used. And sometimes there was a specific thing called forum theatre where you're talking directly to the delegates slash audience. And humour, you use humour. I mean, often people associate it with legs akimbo with um, League of Gentlemen used to do mm. a piss take TIE thing. And there's echoes of that. But you do need humour to bridge the awkwardness of what you're essentially doing. And there was a sort of light bulb moment where I thought, you know what, if if you turn the lights down and everyone's got a beer, this is a gig. This is stand-up. I'm sort of using humour, telling stories, diffusing awkward moments with humour, mm. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, if I take out the boring bits <laughs> and cut and paste all the fun bits, yeah. that's a set, yeah. you know. And so I, I wasn't afraid of... Like a lot of actors can't bear the thought of stand-up because they don't want to break the fourth wall. I, I'd already smashed mine down a long time ago. <laughs> so I was comfortable with that, yeah. you know. My only worry now, not so much now, but around that transition time when I was a comic and an actor, is that sometimes actor-actors, well, I call people actor-actors and comedian-comedians. Like a thespian. Yes, yeah. proper actors. <laughs> they don't want to reveal their real selves because they think it will affect their casting. So they wouldn't particularly want to go on a panel show or whatever and be themselves because they want to remain a blank canvas for yeah. casting. Yeah, And I suppose that did occur to me a tiny bit, but it clearly didn't because I was quite happy to sort of reveal my be, own persona. Be, be you. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find in, in that sort of creative process... Whether it was starting or even today, like how do you know if something's funny? Like if you're actually trying to, do you have people you go to? Is it with your family? Mm. How do you find things that you think, oh, actually, I could use that, but actually, then measuring it to think this could work in a set. I don't know. You just have an instinct for it. I assume I always liken it to music. I always just think there's a sort of, kind of hear rhythm. Beat. There's mm. a rhythm, and you go, the rhythm works. I can, I, it's there. I can sort of feel it that it's there, and then you just sort of get dexterous at trying it out in front of people and them not knowing that you are it's terrible there's nothing worse than a comedian doing a bit on you and you're like you're doing a bit just stop talking <laughs> but if you can disguise it as a conversation and they laugh you're like right it's in i'm using it nice. i got it i like that and it's quite nice as well I quite enjoy when i'm with other comics where they tell you a story and you go have you done that on stage and they go no do you reckon i could and you're like you should tell that on stage oh, that's interesting yeah it's quite nice. That's a good soundboard. And it's quite nice as well when someone says it to you. You're like, could I? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you try it and it works because it's just a rhythm thing, mm. you know. Let me ask another plot twist okay. question. Plot twist person. Yes. So an unexpected source of inspiration. Yes. Is there some, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of people actually, but is there anyone that comes to mind as a surprise entity that's inspired you well there were teachers teachers and people like that and friends in early life like you know one of my closest old friends is funny and we have i like making her laugh and friendships and stuff but if you mean a career person well it could be either actually yeah because like, like we were saying the impact when you're younger is so profound isn't yes, it? yes absolutely and i did say to one of my friends recently sometimes i imagine it's good to have a muse, if you like, or someone that you kind of think, oh, I'd like to be making them laugh. Like mm. I, I love making my husband laugh. <laughs> so it's quite useful to try stuff out on him because if it makes him laugh, I think it'll That's work. A start, yeah. That's a start. Yeah. And friends, people whose humour you enjoy and that you have that lovely, I don't know, whatever that is when we're with our loved ones and our friends and family and we're just cracking each other up. If you can just distill that and put it in a set... <laughs> If you can just cut and paste they're relatable it. as well, though, oh, right? Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, if you, that's the, that, for me, that's the fun st stuff is when you can take what's real life and make it a crafted bit of stand-up, mm. you know, 
or dialogue in a script or or something like that. So, yeah, there are lots of people in my private life that have been huge contributors to me finding my own voice, comedy voice. But obviously there's people like Ricky Gervais that gave me a break and I can remember getting that email and and it definitely changed the trajectory of my work life, yeah. Yeah, that must have been quite a plot twist. Yeah, that was a big plot twist, yeah. Because prior to that, I had worked, you know, I had... I, I, was, I always say I was steadily just sort of bobbing along as a circuit comic, making a nice, comfortable living. It was my job. I was just a club comic. Not just. I was a club comic. <laughs> and I was a, an actor and I used to get bits and pieces of acting work and I'd pop up on the bill or I'd be on a Holby or, you know, now and then I'd get a nice bigger part on a sitcom or whatever or a scene on Miranda. Or, but they were very much separate and they were two careers and I had different agents and different CVs and mm. they just didn't cross over. And then I did get to do work with Ricky Gervais and then they cross over. Then I started getting better acting work, higher profile stuff. I was able to tour as a comedian. So it meant not having to do clubs. I could sell tickets on my own name and things like that. It's make a huge it, jump, yeah, isn't it's it? It's a huge jump. Yeah. And I knew once we started mm. filming Derek and it had gone out and I was like, oh, that yeah, so then much. I was like, oh, this is... The, it's like a promotion. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a promotion at work. What was the process to get that role? To get it? Yeah. Um, You're saying you got the email through, but... It was a straight offer. Like I didn't, Really? Yeah, I didn't audition for Gosh, it. That's another compliment. Which is sort of amazing. But the backstory to that, because often when I say that, I can't believe I'm saying it, but there is a backstory in that I had gone on tape and auditioned for extras, and I think the office as well. So I think, and Ricky's very good at remembering people and... He's got his favourites, he likes Yeah, his, uh, and he loves stand-up, so he, lo yeah. he likes working with comics. And I'd gigged with him, our pals had crossed on the live circuit as well. I can remember doing a gig with him. So he, he just is good at remembering people. And I think he just had me in mind for that part. And But I couldn't believe it when I got the email saying, Ricky would like you to consider, would you like to come in and read for this? And I interpreted that as, oh, it's an audition. Mm. And I remember saying to the producer, oh, it's a casting. And he was like, no, 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 he'd like you to do it. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't quite believe it. So the only thing that potentially would fuck it up is me. <laughs> <laughs> I could go yeah. in and talk him out of giving yeah. me a job. Yeah. But oh, yeah, you're so a... good as Hannah. You're honestly, oh, thank you. you were brilliant. Absolutely thank brilliant. You. Well, it's a dream part. Yeah. It's a dream part because... It's not a part you've seen before, so there's no cliche. You know, again, going back to what we were saying earlier about representation, there aren't that... Again, maybe like Sarah Lancashire playing that character in Happy Valley, there aren't that many, or it wasn't then anyway, like working-class women, real people that do a real job. Mm -hmm. And everybody... Local heroes. To totally. And, like, and because his mum worked in care and his sister had worked in care, he kind of knew those women and he wanted it to be as authentic as he could get it, you know. And that kind of... that There's humour in those places and sadness and pathos and, and big laughs, you know. They're all, they all sit together. And I was really flattered that he asked me to do it. How did you keep it together? Because one of the things I like to do... Because I'm a professional. You are absolutely a professional. Yeah. But you've got David Earl saying the most obscene, disgusting, disgusting things in front of because you. Because I was appalled. <laughs> because I was being... I wasn't even acting. I was like, Jesus, you're disgusting. You're disgusting. And the more disgusted I was... <laughs> <laughs> the more amused they all seem to be. Because that's what he's doing. He's trying to be outrageous. Yeah. So I was like, right, you won't break me. I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> and then oh. it makes him funnier and funnier yeah. and funnier. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. Some of those outtakes. Like if you need to pick me up, those yeah. are my go-tos. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got Ricky laughing in the background. I know, he's just and then David can't keep just it or David or Carl just saying the most obscene. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. Oh my goodness. What do you, what do you learn from those sort of things like, in terms of working with Ricky like behind the scenes? Um to be playful, like what you're describing, that yeah. kind of ability to keep joy and playfulness very close, not get too earnest, yeah. you know, and I think that that contributes to the nature of that type of work, the naturalism that he's after. He wants it to be as real as he can get it. And that often means you use the first take. That's mm. if you get one without him corpsing. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot from from that. And to not, like, overly think things, just to kind of keep it fairly loose, you know, and to hold on to to that, that sense of curiosity and playfulness and be open, you know. I'd say it's where he's at his strongest. Totally. In terms of all the different bodies of work that he's done. Totally. Just creating something so unique and real. Yeah, that's what he... I know that's what funny. he... And I kind of got what he wanted to achieve with Derek. I just thought, I know what you want. I know what that you you want that to be. I know how to help you realise that. And Hannah was a really lovely part. Yeah. Just a that's really... the first time I actually saw you. It was it, you, were, you were just Hannah. That yeah. Was... And like you said, yeah. she's a sort of common hero. and She is. Those women make the world go round. Yeah. They're the glue. Shout out to those women. Mm. Fast forward to then Afterlife, just yeah. on the theme of Ricky and, and those projects. Did you notice, because we've had David Earl and Joe Wilkinson on, and they both said that they've had, in terms of recognition in the street, for example, mm. and just because it's such a massive global hit. Yeah. Is, is that, have you noticed that as totally, well? Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was another gear change. So Derek and that whole, what we just talked about, was yeah. one step, you know, yeah. plot twist. <laughs> And then afterlife, I didn't get, I didn't know I'd get to work with Ricky again, let alone on something as huge as that. Mm. So that was another like, oh my god! And I can't comprehend how much that's impacted people. And people do come up to me and say really lovely, intimate things, how profoundly touched they were by that show. And because it touches the themes of it, touch everyone. Everyone, mm. you know. So it has been quite a special thing to be a part of. Yeah, because especially even like with within the time that it was released in and around the pandemic. Exactly. Like, the yeah. themes that everyone could absolutely. actually relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the theme, not just of loss and grief and cancer and death, but also community and friendship yeah. and all those things that we had to do without in the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Masterpiece. Absolute yeah. masterpiece. What, what do you look for um, in projects now? Now you've had those kind of big gigs to expose you to so many people and you probably have more opportunities than, than ever. What what sort of things do you look for now? What's the sort of what gets the creative juices going? I'm still I still love stand up. Is that is that the number one? Well it's not the number one, but I do still love it and I can have breaks from it and go away from it and then I think, right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. I might not even never do it again. And then <laughs> and then ideas come to me and I'm like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I'm gonna do it and I it, get get back excited by it. Acting wise, just good scripts, just good characters. And as I'm aging, I'm getting to play far more interesting people. So when I was young and I first sort of got bits and pieces, I was always just sort of, they were kind of quite small. I don't know, maybe it's a class thing again, where you didn't, I wasn't RP and I didn't play, I just played girlfriends of drug dealers quite a lot of the times, <laughs> or like uh, <laughs> coppers with one line or, you know, this and that. But now I, 
have got to play barristers and MPs and yeah, data MPs analysts scandal, and yeah. yeah. I mean, I I have a part in Trigger Point. I don't know what I'm saying half the time, but she's really clever. She's yeah. a scientist, <laughs> <laughs> and she speaks in acronyms in the periodic table. So I get to do much more interesting things. Um, God, I struggle with that. Oh, it's just so much fun, especially working with someone like Vicky McCraw. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just an absolute delight. No, I meant the peri periodic table. No, I don't know oh. what I'm saying. I don't yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's just literally <laughs> shapes and colours and blobs. And yeah. I'm like, oh, it's science. It's pH2. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But it's it, it's interesting. And that's like, I suppose, why a lot of people that do decide and want to become actors is you want to open up all these doors to these yeah. interesting worlds. Yeah which I wasn't getting much of a chance to do, which is why stand-up was so appealing, because I wasn't really doing very much. And when I did act, I was mostly sort of... They were quite boring parts, really. I yeah. mean, like, they weren't... I mean, it's it's hard to moan, because it all... Beat. Leads to one. Yeah, yeah, it's all part of a big thing. But I just... It wasn't like... I wasn't doing Shakespeare. Mm. I wasn't doing loads of theatre. I wasn't... I wasn't sort of immersed in this rich world of characterization mm. and all the things I'd learned to do at drama school. I wasn't really getting to do it as a professional actor. And then after getting, you know, after Derek, I was getting more interesting parts. Mm. If you were my MP, I'd vote for you. Well, that was in adult material, and you might not once you saw if you well, saw the yes. show, I did get yeah. caught up in a sort of scandal. A little scandal. Yeah. But um I loved that. I just loved that script. I just thought those characters were just extraordinary. And again... That it was a sex scandal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a woman who works, works in the porn yeah. industry. But I just thought it was so brilliantly done, you know. So, yeah, getting to do things like that... Opens it up. Yeah. Opens it up, definitely. Yeah. Going back to the comedy side, who are the people... Because we mentioned Billy Connolly and Victoria Wood and Jenny Eclair and those guys. Mm. Who are the guys today that you look at and you think, oh, my gosh, you're so good at your craft and you... Well, mates make me laugh. Like, Jen Brister makes me laugh. Zoe Lyons makes me laugh. So people that are friends. Uh, I don't watch as much co comedy. I think that's the one... When you've been doing it a long time, you do sort of go, oh, I'm not going to watch comedy. I'm just, I've seen it all now. I know how it works. Yeah, I know the you score. Know. Yeah. But, yeah, I've always... I just thought... Last summer I was at Latitude and I just ended up sitting in the comedy tent watching great stand-up. For, you know, back-to-back -back good stand-up and we had a really lovely time. <laughs> so I still can enjoy it. And I, I don't know, it's always difficult when people ask you to name names. I know who the seminal people were. This is like, the thing where you send the voice note later and you yeah. say, oh, there was this person, that I, person. Okay, so the person everyone always says, and it's definitely true of me, was Daniel Kitson. He made an enormous difference and he was sort of... Um, as when I was very new starting out was when he was like big. Top you know, of his game. Yeah. Like he was at Edinburgh Festival doing amazing shows. I used to go and watch him at Leighton Live. And he just he just is a brilliant comedian. And I think probably one of the most influential comedians. You know, if you ask a lot of people working over the last sort of 20 years, they'll cite mm. Kitson as a big part of that shift. The comedy circuit is quite brutal, right? In what way? Well... Lots of people, you know, don't... Joshing for... Joshing, yeah, joshing for... You see, I know it has that reputation, but for me personally, and maybe it's just because I did all right on it, I always found it a nice it. place. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the acting world I found a bit brutal. I found okay, acting... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they both are, really. Yeah, but... The, the... You've just mastered both. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't put it in a modest way, but acting I found... It's, a, it's not a meritocracy acting, Whereas comedy very much is a meritocracy. It's like, if people laugh, you will be asked back. But acting, there's just too many people. 
trying to get work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, without being mean-spirited, sometimes people that aren't necessarily the best get work and sometimes people that are brilliant don't get work. I mean, it can be, I guess, marketing purposes. Yeah, there's all kinds yeah, of things. Of and there felt like lots more gatekeepers in the world of acting. There are lots more people stopping you from doing what you want to do, whereas yeah. in comedy, I could just do it. I could just do it. I mean... I might say the measurement is there, right? Yeah, in, people in are laughing, laughing or they're not. Yeah. I mean... Yes, there are. There is a sort of version of that where you just stay on the open mic circuit forever, and that is true for some people, and that's fine. It's a you know a hobby, and I didn't want that. I did want to get make it a, a job, but um, I just felt like it wasn't as restrictive comedy as acting. I didn't need other people's permission mm. as much. I didn't have to be arse crawling at parties. <laughs> In a way that I'm not particularly. I can't network. That the, the thought of oh, having to God. work a room, yeah. and there's a kind of feeling. I get that daunting feeling of walking oh, in. Oh, just the, the horror. And I don't even believe in it as a thing. I don't think anyone's career is like. Well, it was because I schmoozed Wawa at that cocktail party. But there was just always this feeling that you're supposed to do that with acting. Like you're meant to go to meetings, and you're meant to go to openings, and you're meant to go to events, and you're meant to work a room, and you've got to build up your network. You know, got to go up to casting directors, and blah. blah. And I just was. It just isn't. It just isn't easy. It just isn't easy, and I didn't have to do any of that as a comic. I just had to turn up and be funny, and I quite liked the simplicity of simplicity it. of that. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean then? I guess thinking of that kind of measurement with just pure laughter, mm. is that easy to tell then? Like, if you go to Fringe and you see up and comers, who's going to be a star? I've no idea. I've never been able to do that. I don't go to Fringe now anyway. <laughs> I don't go and watch Fringe. Pl- no, fringe but plays. I mean, when you when you did maybe. Oh, no, yeah, you can still glean quite quickly of someone. There's a funny moment where sometimes there's a kind of brave few nano beats where you go, is this person a genius or mentally unwell? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know which it is, (laughs) and you can find out fairly quick. But, um, yeah, you know, you can still see more talent, without a doubt. Yeah, it's funny, that fine line. You can watch a clip of, like, Robin Williams on an American talk show and you'll be like, like, is he having a breakdown or is this What's going on? Yeah, but you're, you're cracking up at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on the last sort of note, what what it sort of talks to me about? We talk about gardening, talk about other passions. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe of... that I'm into gardening. I love it. Yeah. Well, I like the creativity and yes. the before and after. Yes, and the sense of achievement. And also, I was saying to David, oh, we're talking about art. I haven't, I haven't done it recently. I haven't yeah. even done it at all. But yeah. I like the idea of being lost in doing something. Yeah. I did that so bit that... of that with um, lockdown with uh, Grace and Perry's art, art club. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was a nice thing to to do just do a few sketches because you go try that and you'd be like yeah I'm going to try that (laughs) (laughs) did you find that did you get lost a little bit in the a little bit yeah Yeah. I'm more immersed in say gardening or yoga or other things okay yeah drawing I'm not that good at it so I can be defeated quite early on Mm. it's like those projects where you go oh this is going to take longer than I anticipated (laughs) you know when you think I'm going to decorate this room and then you sort of pull everything out and you're like oh actually I haven't got time yeah I started wallpapering the bedroom earlier this year I thought, oh, I'll just do a little, I'll do a little wall mm. here. Then I think, oh, I'll do a little bit more. And then it's like over the course of five weekends, yeah, I'm still like, doing the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. But that feeling of how much work there was to do at the beginning of comedy didn't defeat me. It actually quite excited and inspired me. And that's why I you knew. You like a challenge? Well, I liked that challenge. Mm. I don't like other challenges. <laughs> I get I throw my toys out the pram very early doors with lots of things and go, oh, forget it, forget it, I can't. 
But with comedy, I quite enjoyed just being at what I knew was the foothills of a high climb. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to throw myself That's a great way it. to look at it. It takes away so much pressure then. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, I thought, well, I'll give it three years. Any, my drama training was three years. Most apprenticeships mm-hmm. are about three years. Yeah. I'll give it three years and treat it as an apprenticeship. Where did you get to the, th- the third year? By then, I probably was sort of working in clubs you were and doing had an circuit. agent. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. What's uh, coming up for you then? What's next? Where are we going to see you? Well, we just did Trigger Point. We just shot Trigger Point season two. So that will be out. And House of Games? Oh, well, that will be on around Christmas time. I know okay. that because the set had Christmas trees. My mum loves that show. It is great. It's great. I mean, I started the week really bad, really bad. And then I sort of pulled it back. When I did it before, I got tweets from people saying, you're really stupid. You're really thick. Thank God for social media, eh? Because in case oh I didn't know. Oh, my God. Just in case I didn't know that I was thick. There are lovely people out there. Just that, assholes. I want to tell you. Just like, why? <laughs> but I do remember being like, I can't do the buzzer thing. Like, I'm better with the questions where you have more time to consider the answer. But the minute there's a buzzer involved... Oh, I panic. Oh, it was just a disaster. Yeah. But, yeah, it's fun doing things like that. So, yeah, that'll be on over Christmas time, I think. Okay. And just bits and pieces, bits of comedy and lovely gigs across the summer and festivals and... I saw you were last year, you were at uh, Newbury, the Corn Exchange. Probably. I think yeah. people always want me to remember where I've been. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'd say many, right? <laughs> I don't but remember. That was like, a, it's because I used to work in Newbury and it's right. a very sort of intimate theatre. I think that'd be the best way to see a, like a stand-up comedy. I do like doing tours in those spaces. Yeah. My support act, the lovely Jake Lambert, he is really good at remembering every room that we've ever played. So if we're setting off somewhere, he's like, well, yeah, you remember. And we had this for tea and we had this sandwich and then you were right. And I was like, how do you remember all this? He just remembers... Yeah rooms that he's played. He remembers every room he's played. Yeah, I've got friends that will remember really distinctive details at school, like the colour of somebody's yeah. socks I mean, or something. It's like, well, what's the matter with There's you? no room in. Yeah. I don't have the bandwidth <laughs> for that. And I've got a lot better at just not bothering or caring. Yeah. But I used to really, it used to trouble me that I couldn't mm. remember this, that and the other. And now I'm like, does it matter? It's not important. I don't care. I've loved having you on. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for, for coming along. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been lovely Talking to Talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love me. The narcissism available. <laughs> oh, it's been great. Good luck with all the future projects and uh, yeah, I'll catch up soon, right? Yeah. Ah, oh, Kerry Goddard, wasn't that lovely? Great chat. And we discovered a few things. She's not vandalising trees, and she isn't part of the penis gang, so that is a uh, that's a big <laughs> that's a big relief. But but jokes aside, I really enjoyed that conversation and really valued certain parts of it. Where talk about representation of women in comedy, her experiences over the last twenty years, getting that insight, I, I really valued that. We spoke about her background. Obviously, the plot twist was that she got into drama school, and that's what kind of opened doors and led her to believe you know what, this is possible, I can do this. And obviously, of course, she's blossomed from there. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Kerry Goldman, wasn't she awesome? Big, big thank you to her. And next week, we've got another fabulous comedian in Maisie Adam. You'll know her from a lot of her stand-up, Live at the Apollo, shows like A League of Their Own. She's actually doing a special 
with Catherine Ryan focusing on the Lionesses ahead of their World Cup, which is, is going to be a hoot. So I'm really looking forward to meeting Maisie. But in the meantime, like Kerry Godleman, I'm going to have a potter in the garden. And in true Tom style, it'll be just a bit of brute force and ignorance. <laughs> Ciao, guys. Oh, 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 oh.